Good morning. We've been um, on a series for quite a while on relationship matters. Um, and uh, during September, we began to take a specific focus in line with that uh, line underneath God's desire for a community of believers. And we started to focus not just on maybe the individuals, how I talk to one another, how I forgive one another. We talked about the use of the tongue. We talked about how we loved our enemies, dealing with conflict and many, many more. But we started to shift it to looking at us as a body, as a church together. We looked at, well, this work from here, chaps, let's have a look. Not giving me anything at the moment, so just give me a nod. There we go. Uh, there'll be some questions to ponder. I'll put them at the beginning because I, I just won't be there at the end. But these slides will be on the website. The questions will make more sense after you've listened to the talk. God's desire for a community of believers, relationship matters. We looked at holiness to be cut out and set apart as a body. It was God who, who separates us as an ecclesia. The ecclesia, the people of the church, set out as one body to be holy and set apart. We then looked at the fact that we are one. This is Christ's prayer. Let them be one as we are one, Father God. But looking more like Christ causes us to be in tune with one another. We have that great quote from Tozer that says, we need to spend time. Two pianos that tune to the pitchfork, the, the tuning fork, find themselves actually in perfect harmony with one another. Not when they're trying to be in harmony with one another, but when they align themselves to the tuning fork. When the way that the whole church of God globally becomes one is to focus on becoming more like him. Because then actually whomever we meet, we're in perfect harmony, perfect harmony with. In the name of Jesus, oh, I could preach on that one. One. Again, we then moved on to unity in the body. We looked at Corinthians 12. We all have a place. We all have a purpose. God, God has made us feet and toes and hands and elbows and ligaments that I can't even pronounce. And he's placed you exactly where he wants you. Flourish in that and grow. And he says those that don't seem to get, get a lot of honour, we, we give, he says he gives special honour. Do you know there's a gift of administration that we never talk about because it's one of those things, but it's the glue that holds everything together. It's what you've seen in operation as, listen for a second, shh. What do you hear? No buzzing. No buzzing. Did you hear it this morning? The gift of administration, those people behind the scenes that are working to make things happen, that sit on the desk, that receive emails, that send emails out, those people that can see logistical things that are coming up and put them in place. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit, and we sometimes poo-poo it. If you have the gift of administration, the Holy Spirit works through you and in you just as much as the gift of preaching or anything else. Amen? And we're thankful for it. We then, a couple of weeks ago, David, and it flows into that. 1 Corinthians 12 then, then move, move, moves into talking about apostles and prophets. And today we'll talk about pastors, teachers, and evangelists. So let's just read 1 Corinthians 12. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part 
of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of help, of guidance, of different types of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. The word first here denotes a level of importance in a succession of events. And we see it works here, look, in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. It's the first thing you've got to do to release the other things on. If you want his, his righteousness and all these other things, he was talking about not, not worrying, being clothed. He says if you want all of those things, you've got to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. You hypocrites, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. The last one, blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish and then the outside is also clean. It's a first that leads on to something else. First apostles. The word first is used to denote a level of importance in succession. I've gone through that. So it's important actually that we see that because everything flows out of there. There is a flow and a unity in Christ. And here's Paul saying it's first in rank, first in importance. And we get uncomfortable with that because it starts to feel like a hierarchy. Don't ask me how God does it, but God brings us to an oblong table that has a top and a bottom and yet makes us all feel valued. Only God can do that. So here we have first apostles, and there's an order, because there's a flow from the Spirit. And as David talked to us last week, apostles and prophets actually were heaven-focused. They were to tap into what God is saying in the heavenlies and bring that flow through everything else. This morning, we're going to focus, oh, it's slightly over to one side, look, um, on the Ephesians Scripture. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure and the statue of the fullness of Christ. This is often referred to as the fivefold ministry. It's interesting. Theologians like to talk and create things. It's also been suggested it's only four. (laughs) Because actually, pastors and teachers are wanting the same thing. It doesn't matter, to be honest. The key gifts or offices established by Jesus for a healthy growth in the church. As with the gift list above in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul was trying to give a suggestion of all these gifts. He says the gift of wisdom, the gift of this, and we make it a finite list. These are supposed to be examples. I'm very comfortable with them only being five or four, however you want to interpret it. There could be more. But what we have in Scripture here is certainly five roles that are there for the establishment of the church. 
The point I feel is that there are different gifts that are needed in the church. Never just one, but a number. Even the world identifies the good team needs specific and different roles, functions, gifts for it to function well. I don't think it's any different here. The world get it and we accept it, yet sometimes we struggle with it in the church. It's a team game. It really is a team game. We do it together. I also don't believe it was Paul's intention or God's to suggest that these four or five gifts should reside in one person. A super leader that has them all at their arms and they just bring them up. It just doesn't seem to fit with the analogy of the body. Where the analogy of us all having our place and then talk about these five areas and for them to remain in one person. And yet sometimes we've allowed that. We've created the super apostle or the super pastor. I really don't think that's what's God's heart. It just seems to undermine what Paul has just outlined, that there are different members with different gifts, different purposes and different places in the body. It seems strange that he would then suggest that these five or four could or even should reside in one person. There is some clear evidence that more than one can reside in a person. We know that Peter was, a, 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 was a, an apostle. And he, in 1 Peter, he also refers himself to a, as an elder, which is also a, a pastor. And again, I just think sometimes the world understands stuff, and because it's not got the spiritual b- baggage, we go with, with, with it. They'll do all these skills analysis, strength finders, and there's six or seven or eight or nine, who knows? And usually they focus on two. Yeah, they say, look, here's your highest one, Ben. You, you are this. Yeah, you operate in this way. Your skill sets get to fill in all sorts of things. And then there's usually a, a second one. And they say, actually, between these two, you kind of operate well. And to be honest, my experience, so you can have a different one, my experience is actually that works in the kingdom of God. And then they go on and say a really good leader will learn how to use the others and in the right situation actually pick them up and pick them out. But it's not actually my natural skill set. I've got to learn to do this. Some of you may have to learn to do administration, but you recognise that at times you need it. But there's nothing like when you're in your sweet spot. There's nothing like when you've identified that gift and you're flowing in it. As good leaders within the church, we should look to embrace all of them. But actually, deep, deep down, I'm a pastor. And I'm a preacher. Yeah? And I can do some of the other things where needed. But actually, it's where my sweet spot is. And we call it calling. We call it anointing. And we all have it. It's different for each of us. But there's no way I can see that Scripture supports... Am I going to lose that? No, I'm not. That actually all five should have resided as a sweet spot in one person. Because God wants us to work together. Relationships matter. It's about a community. I might refer to my sweet spot in my secular employment as as the office I was appointed to. The other areas I develop as a gift, but it was not the same as operating in my... My, 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 my office. 
In 1 Corinthians 14, 31, for example, Paul says, For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. I prophesy. It doesn't make me a prophet. I prophesied and I've seen them come true. It doesn't make me a prophet. I've evangelised. We're all called to. It doesn't make me an evangelist. They're a different. David, too, touched on apostles and prophets. Some feel that they have had their day and had their time. And I can understand some of their arguments from where they come from. But I believe that they're all needed for the church. They were given by Christ. They were given by Jesus himself. And they are all needed now. While I recognise and see often the, the apostle and the prophet would more move in the supernatural. And there's been a real uncomfortableness I feel and I've seen in doing that. And we've lost something. We've seen it go wrong. We've seen it not happen. And actually, it's just easier and more comfortable to focus on what actually I can really do as opposed to leaning on what only God can do. And I believe we need to move back into that time when we're seeing the miraculous, the dynamis, the unexplained. There isn't a formula. I don't know why Sheila was healed and somebody else was not, but we have a God who heals and he's ready to heal today. And I believe the apostles and the prophets usher in that supernatural element. But that was David a couple of weeks ago. I think as actually we've not had, these must be the PDFs, yeah, and not the, um, not the thing because they were coming in one at a time. We've had a focus on the pastor and the teacher. It's where we now get the super pastor, the senior pastor. All are relevant today, all five, all four, I really don't care, and all are needed for today to operate within the church. Teachers and pastors, pastors stroke teachers, many see them as one and the same thing. Let me just catch up in my notes here. Teacher means didasakos, didakosos. <laughs> it means that word there. Let me break it down. Didasakos. Didasakos. One who... Sakos. <laughs> I don't know. I got it this morning. I was practicing it in front of the... Here Didaskalos. Yes. Family, you see. I'm hot up here. Right, and it means these are supposed to come one at a time. So don't read ahead, okay? One who teaches concerning the things of God and the duties of man. The Oxford Dictionary says impart knowledge or to instruct someone as to how to do something. A teacher is deeper than that. In, in the spiritual gift sense, a teacher is deeper than somebody who simply imparts knowledge to or instructs someone as to how to do something. A teacher opens up the oracles of God's word, bringing greater meaning. The gift of a teacher is not simply to convey information so people understand. It's when the Holy Spirit mixes with the teaching gift and actually does something on a deeper level. 
People say, I'm a preacher, not a teacher. Am I not teaching this morning? Not all teachers are pastors. You can have a Christian school, you can have teachers, but I think pastors, elders are called to teach. I think we're just talking about different styles and different ways of doing it. That's why I think some think pastor and teacher is the same, but it's become the fivefold. I'm okay with that. I'm not worried about that at all. Pastor, poemen. Poemen. No, I'm not even going to try. It means that. It means shepherd. Yeah. Recently, I was um, asked to go into St. James's. Um, Craig was away. And he said, Ben, they've asked us to go in on an extra date. They want to talk about church leadership. Will you go? Um, I'm really comfortable speaking to you lot. Yeah. Children? I don't know. And they want to ask questions. Oh, my goodness. Yes, of course. So I thought, what am I going to do, Lord? And as Craig was saying the other week, can't, we, 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 we want to point everybody back to Jesus. God is a generic term. We do have Father God, don't get me wrong, but actually only Christianity has Jesus. So we talk about Jesus, who is God. Yeah. So a shepherd leads their sheep. Do you, do you know, it's interesting. This is what I did with the kids at St. James's. In the, in the east, is it? But over there in Jesus' time, it's the only type of shepherding where they walk ahead and the sheep follow. Isn't it interesting? In the west, the oh-so-capable west, we drive our sheep. We herd them. We use dogs to rally them in. We've got it wrong. We've got it wrong, shepherds in the UK. You don't need to drive or herd anything. You simply need to walk ahead of them. And when there's a relationship, people will follow. Amen. Hello. What else do pastors do? They care for their sheep. They care for their sheep. You see, a pastor is, is focused on people. This is why there's a flow. It comes out of heaven through the apostles and prophets and flows straight into the teachers and the pastors. But actually, it's right that we have a focus on the people. Whenever a group of people come together, they will organise themselves in such a way to get needs met. That is okay. We have needs, don't we? We have them. People often gather around a leader. They will, will, they believe, will meet their needs. This is both healthy and unhealthy, as we will come to see. The pastor has a desire to know that people are healthy and strong. They know that the gospel comes alive when Christians become healed up and set free in Christ. This is the pastor's great joy. There's nothing more of a joy when we see somebody get healed up or come into a realisation that Christ is their answer. That's the pastor's great joy. What else do pastors do? They protect their sheep. And they tend to the needs of their sheep, which is what we we, talk, we talked about there. And that's what I took the children through. Those are the four roles of a pastor, of an elder. It could be more, yeah, but I focused on the shepherd, which is what pastor means. And as we took our focus off the apostles and evangelists, actually the pastor teacher really rose up high. There's been a huge focus on getting needs met, which, as I said, is healthy and unhealthy. 
Why? Because all five of these are not actually the people who are supposed to do the work in the church. The role of the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, and I've done them in different orders. Actual scripture says apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. But I've, I've taken these next because actually that's where our focus has been for a long, long time. And it's out of balance with what I believe Jesus has laid down we need for a healthy church growth. It's got to flow from heaven down through the people. Why? For the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. Somehow, and it's different in different churches, but there's a belief that leaders do the ministry and the people come and receive. God is removing the void between the laity and the clergy, if you want to use it that way. Yeah? We are here for the ministry of the church. Not as pastors. We're there to equip you. For what? To go out and to show a world what Christ can do for us which is where we come on to the evangelist and again there's the the word I'm not even going to try it yeah hey it is but that's what it is in the Greek and if you get the blue letter bible you can click on the word and it will speak to you Strong's 2347 (laughs) <laughs> and then it breaks it down phonetically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I've tried to do. I don't know if I've done it here. Yuang. Oh, no, no. <laughs> but what does it mean? Bringer of good tidings. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's an evangelist is a bringer of good tidings. The noun only occurs three times in the New Testament. Did I write them down. Acts 21, 8, Ephesians 4, 11, and 2, Timothy 4, 5. This is not the same as the verb to evangelize, which is used frequently in the New T- T- Testament and used to describe the spreading of the gospel. And we all have a responsibility to do that. We all have a responsibility to do that. And I'm speaking generally. If this doesn't link with you, that's okay, because we've got some incredible people in the church that have got a deep desire to evangelise. But when I speak to us, if we're really honest, we'd simply rather not. Awkward conversations, how are they going to receive me? Do I really have to talk about sin? Can't we just talk about how God will just make everything good and right? At some point, we've got to address and we've got to help people see that they need Jesus. Romans 1, Romans 1 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power unto salvation. Salvation. People, I'll say it, and it's a bit of an ouch, people need saving. They do. And the trouble is, they don't know it, they don't want to know it, because I'm all right, Jack. And who are you to tell me I need something? And it looks different to what it may have looked like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, when there was a wider God consciousness in the nation. But we've got to lead our friends to a point where at least they're saying, at least I know, Ben, that you're now saying I need Jesus. But thank you, no thanks. In some ways, one could argue I've done my job. 
The heart is, is that actually I wouldn't just convey information. Again, that the Holy Spirit would get hold of what's been said and work on the heart. And maybe our job is to slipstream into those who are being saved. Do you know that scripture that says to those who are being saved, it is something, but to those who are not being saved, it's a sin, it's an offence. To those who are being saved, it's a sweet aroma. To those who are not being saved, it's just an offence. And the gospel is an offence. And we cannot simply leave it to the evangelist. Because the evangelist's job is to equip the saints to do what? Evangelise. The evangelist's job isn't a, great, we've got our evangelist sorted. I will stand at the back at the Outreach Cafe and serve coffee with a smile. Because the evangelist will sort it out. That's not the role. That's not the role of an evangelist. An evangelist is gifted in making the gospel plain and easy to understand. Similarly to the teacher, they have a gift of opening up the things of God in such a way that people's hearts are opened up to and they become born again. In my limited experience, evangelists will seek to open up God to people in whatever way is needed. They're a bit crazy, they're off the wall, they're wild, they're wacky, because all they want to do is see people born again. And we need that spirit of an evangelist in the church, because it it ignites us. It ignites us. It is my belief that we all need to step up in the gift of evangelism. And we need to become humble so we can lean on God who then makes us brave and bold. We desperately need the courage to start to place ourselves in situations where there is an opportunity to share our faith. Generally speaking, I think we become tame and timid in this area. If you're saying, not me, amen. Amen. We possibly have not got healed up and do not know how to handle rejection, even though Jesus himself told us that we'll come. That's where the pastor gets in. Because we want to be accepted. We want to be loved. We don't want to be rejected. And when we realise Christ, he has accepted us, Christ has given us an identity, in some ways it doesn't matter what other people think. I can handle being told to get off on a whack case. I can handle it. But we have to come to the point where we have to, and we should be bold. Yes, I believe that there are some things that this world says are fine that I think are a sin. And why should we be ashamed of that? Do you not think that the world secretly thinks there's something? There's got to be, the world is going to look at Christians and say, there's got to be something that you think is sin. And it can't just be what the government says or what the world says. It needs to be about what the word says. Ooh. Yeah, we then move from hold on. We, 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 we then move from evangelism and make it what I've just described the sole role of the evangelist. Yeah. Because actually, it's just easier, and I'd rather he did it. I'd rather her did, did it because it ticks a box. The evangelist does have that gift, but you know what? The gifts rub off. Yeah, right. There are loads of examples where somebody has been around somebody that has incredible gifts of healing. Yeah, and, and, they, and they then have gone and healed people. They go home, they try and do the same thing, and it doesn't happen because these gifts carry an anointing. These gifts carry an anointing and it rubs off. And the other part, the other role of the evangelist is to stimulate this need within us. 
and the ability to evangelize. Evangelist is an office and a gift from God. We are all called to evangelize. Why? I've talked about it. Because the purpose of all of these roles, whether five or four or six or ten, is for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son. Jesus continues to give these gifts, all five of them. Let's just go with five. Yeah, All five of them, until we are all in the unity of Christ. Are we all in the unity of Christ yet? No. I believe God continues to give them, continues to give them. Part of the focus on pastor-teacher functions has also risen out of a wrong belief that the leaders do the ministering while everyone else receives. We minister to one another. Are we not all ministers in Christ? Are we not all called to do that? We need... We need the, the offices of the apostles, of the prophets, who are solely focused on heaven's initiatives. We need the pastors and the teachers who will care for the sheep, seeing them established in the word of God, rooted in all things, healed up, set free. Why? So the evangelists can come out and show us how to live out the gospel, the good news in our everyday lives. Why? So others can see and hear and know that there is a God who loves them that there is a God who they need because they need saving. And the evangelist comes in and shows us how that can be done. This all comes at a place of unity in the body. Each person operating and functioning as a hand, a neck, a foot, a lung, a voice box, all working to look like Christ, all seeking to help their fellow Christians grow and develop as Christ-like people, all through deep and sincere love they have for God and for one another. I finish on this. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment. We've got no choice. A new commandment I give you. It's in red and he's used the word command. There's no choice. That you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. Why? So we can all be happy and clapping. I love you, Audrey. It's so wonderful that I love you. There's reason and purpose. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. The mark of love of God is on our lives. And Jesus laid a foundation in the body with the apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers and preachers that equips the saints for the work of the ministry. And I'll leave you with this. One mission, our mission here on earth, is to live not as an individual but as a body of believers seeking to be more Christ-like, which glorifies him, loving and living with one another so a world can stand on the outside and look in and say, how can I have what they have?